This is my father's world. Do you believe that? Whoa, I better change the sermon topic today. Wow. This is my father's world. Do you believe that? Okay, now we're talking. All right. Very good. Very good. You know, our biblical worldview stems from that very fact that we believe that this is my father's world. And so we're talking this morning in our series about worldview, and I hope that if you picked up a bulletin that you've taken a look at the insert. For those of you that are watching online, uh, we have an insert in our bulletin in person today that's got the schedule of all of these upcoming sermons in this series, Stand Up, Stand Strong, based on the book by Sarah Barrett. We're covering those, these topics in our Bible classes, several of our classes, not all of them. Uh, several of our classes are covering these as we cover them during the sermon time as well. And so you'll see the topics on there. You'll see the dates on there. And I hope that you'll make note of that. Perhaps if you want a copy of that, we can get you some more. Or you can make a copy of it and hand it out to someone and share that with them so that there may be a few of those that they might especially be interested in, but hopefully they would be interested in coming and joining you here with us or watching with you as we cover these topics uh, that are very crucial to us today. We understand that this is my father's world, but we also understand that not everyone believes that. And there are a lot of those that are in our world today that don't act like it's our father's world or their father's world, but to some degree they act like it's their world. Depending on your worldview, it may be getting more and more difficult for you to be around society. Even something as simple as watching a movie or a TV show in peace is a struggle sometimes these days. Now, it's a struggle for me at times, but in different ways and for different reasons. Um, you remember the movie, The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille, you know, they found someone that looked just like Moses, Charlton Heston. And, um, and, and I remember watching that movie, but as, a, as a, a, a preacher and as a person who's familiar with the Bible story, it's very hard for me to watch movies like that. Do you know why? Oh, no, that's not in the Bible. No, they didn't say that. No, that person, I don't remember that story at all. Well, so I have to watch myself and be very, very careful. The new series, The Chosen, is a wonderful series. Joyce and I have watched uh, several of the episodes of the first season. And it's wonderful, but you watch it understanding, yes, the story is embellished a bit. There are characters there that are fleshed out that you don't read in the Scripture. But the message, so far at least that I've seen, is very consistent with the message of the Gospels. It's a very helpful thing. The Passion of the Christ that Mel, Mel Gibson did several years ago was a difficult movie to watch. And, and it's one of those things where you look at that and you try to compare it. And if you're not careful, you will lose any value at all in the experience. I think there's another reason why things are difficult for us uh, in society today and in our culture today. Whether you're talking about watching TV or, or going on the internet or watching a movie or something, we realize that there's a lot of things about relationships that are inconsistent with Scripture, and it causes us to be very uncomfortable as we watch something that is meant to be entertainment. Of course, morals uh, are, are very difficult for us to watch from a cultural perspective. 
As Grant mentioned, there, it seems like there was a time uh, years ago when the public, at least, the public acknowledged morals of the nation were more in line with what the public uh, morality code of Scripture uh, would be. We realized that that was not the case in every situation. Some people didn't experience that at all, even back then. But as we think about it today from a cultural perspective, that biblical worldview is less and less seen in culture, in general culture today, than it ever has been, and I think that's right. It's difficult these days to watch a movie or a TV show without a commercial coming on involving a same-sex relationship. Commercials, not just a movie that is geared for, towards that agenda, but just a, just a commercial that, that pops up. And you realize that that's something that we're seeing more and more and more, and I don't see that slowing down at all. And so the question is, if we believe this is my father's world, how do I do that? How do I do that in a way that's faithful to Scripture and its teaching, but also faithful to what we've talked about this morning as well? The love that God has for everyone of every lifestyle. How do we do that? I, um, it, it, it slays me to watch uh, some things. And I think Eric in a couple of weeks is going to be preaching the sermon in this series that deals with some of these things. So I won't say too much about it. But you watch movies and, and, and some of them are good and some of them have good messages. And the, the underlying theme is I just want you to be what? Happy. I just want you to be happy. Follow your heart. What does your heart tell you? And here I am in our living room screaming, no, what does the Bible say? That's the question. <laughs> well, that's not the question in our culture. The question is, what do you want? What makes you happy? What is your heart telling you to do? Our heart is not always a good standard to follow. So what is a worldview? Well, our worldview is the filter through which we view the world around us. Did you get that? <laughs> what is the worldview? Well, it's your view of the world. Okay, well, yes, yes. But flesh that out a little bit. It's, it's the filter that you use in, in seeing the world. In the reality that you're in. That's your worldview. It's your perspective. That we're talking about. Important aspects of that filter include our understanding of and belief in God or the lack of belief in God. What we think about the Bible, what we believe about how one determines right and wrong, all of those things make up our worldview. And as we are engaged in society and as we, as we live our lives, those are the things that cause us to see that and, and see that through that filter. That as we look at things and as we consider things, as we judge things that are right and wrong, it's based on that world view. And if you come from the Bible perspective, from a biblical worldview, then you'll see it a certain way. If you come from the perspective that this is not my father's world, that there is no God, that the Bible is just another nice book that some people like, then your worldview is going to be centered around yourself. Worldview is your built-in 
bias. That's a direct quote from our book. Worldview is your built-in bias. And you say, well, Bill, I don't have a bias. (laughs) Yeah, you just acknowledged your bias right there. We all have that worldview. We all have a certain bias that we bring uh, to the table. Some kind of of, uh, presupposition, preconceived ideas and notions. We have those. And as we watch a TV show or as we watch the news or as we talk to a friend, those things are going through our mind as we're discussing that, as we're viewing that, as we're reading that. And that's not necessarily right or wrong. It just is. That's part of being a human. You have experiences. We talked of several of these in our class this morning. We have experiences. We have things that we were taught growing up. We have the foundation that, we've, that someone has laid for us in our lives. And all of those things are a part of our built-in bias. They are a part of our world uh, view. Uh, the idea that I can be completely objective at all times um, is simply not the case. It's not true. It's not accurate. We cannot be objective. And so what we need to do is acknowledge those biases. Acknowledge, well, this is where I am. For example, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. I cannot be objective about whether one should drink alcohol at all, ever. I cannot be objective about that. I cannot. That's my bias. And that's partly because of my life growing up and seeing my family destroyed because of Falstaff and Lone Star Beer. Partly because I walk in the grocery store and I see 876 million options of things to drink. And I can't for the life of me understand why anyone, anyone would play with such a fire when they don't have to. And I realize that that's my bias. And then we go from there to Bible. See, I'm not even in Scripture teaching yet. (laughs) Well, that's a bias. That's a preconceived idea. That's a subjective view. But that's what we all have because we're humans. Not all worldviews are created equal. Some worldviews are true, some are false. What is consistent is that each person's view of the world frames how they live their lives. It frames what they think of the events happening around them and how they act in and react to the world in which they live. So you can see how belief in God and belief in the Bible as God's word is going to affect us. If that is your worldview, that's going to be seen in how you live your life. If you believe that people are created in the image of God, all people, that's going to affect how you treat them. And if you don't treat them that way, do you really believe that? That's the important question today. So let's look at some key components of a biblical worldview. This list could be very, very long, but it's not. I'll share some of the most significant ones and then you can add to them as you like. Number one, there is a creator God. Genesis tells us that. Psalm 8 tells us that. Psalm 139, from the womb, God knits us together. That's the biblical viewpoint. Jesus is called creator in the New Testament. 
as Danny was sharing with us around the table, it's that part of God's love. That's his love for us. That's really why he created us, because he loved us. He wanted to be in relationship with us. Some people will ask me at times, Bill, why did, why did God create humanity in this world if he knew that the majority of people would be lost and would turn away from him? And I, I understand that question and I appreciate it. And the best response I have ever come up with is this. God didn't create this world for the ones who would be lost. He loved everyone. And just as Grant said, he wants everyone to be saved. But at the same time, he created it for the ones that he would be in relationship with for eternity. He wants that to be everyone. There is a creator God who loves us. Secondly, the Bible is God's inspired word. We sang the song, all of self and none of thee. Do you remember the next step? Some of self and some of thee. Kind of dabbling here a little bit. Maybe, maybe my worldview hasn't been exactly right. More of self and less of thee. That's the path that we get on and move closer and closer to what God intends for us to be. Lord, at last thy love has conquered none of self and all of thee. We take hold of that message from Jesus that says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what the scripture teaches. That's the exact opposite of what our culture teaches. Humanity is created in the image of God. All people therefore have value. Not because they agree with us. Not because they like us. Not because they treat us well. All people have value because all people have been created in the image of God. If I believe that. If that is a part of my world view. That should affect how I treat other people. It should affect even how I treat my enemies, how I treat people that disagree with me, how I treat people that might loathe me. Will I loathe them in return? Will I return to them the kind of treatment in kind that they have given to me? Or will I seek to overcome evil with good? Because I see value in them. Because they have been created in the image of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior of mankind. If we truly believe that, that He is the Son of God and that He is the Savior of mankind, then our lives should express that and illustrate that. Finally, there will be a final judgment. There will be a final judgment. I love the way 2 Peter 3 puts this as it talks about God's patience, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to die, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. That's why it's 2,000 years and he hasn't come back yet. Because he loves us so much that he wants those that are lost to repent. He's given them one more hour, one more moment to do that. But Peter is very clear in that passage in 2 Peter 3. In verse 10 he says, but the day of the Lord will come. It will come. One day that patience and love of God will have run out. Not the love, but the patience. And he will say, no more chance, no more time. It's over. If we believe that, do our lives reflect that? Do we live that way? There will be a final judgment. 
The ideas and thinking that indicate and shape our worldview then should be taken seriously. Those ideas that shape our worldview, the thinking that indicates our worldview, should be taken seriously. This is letter B on your outline. And the scriptures that you see there have to do with living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit. Which way? How do we do that? As Eric began our assembly today, he, uh, he verbalized that, that commitment that we all have to each other to pray for each other. That we realize that there are times in our lives individually, as families, even as a congregation, where it seems like it's a difficult season. I love the way you put that. There are struggles out there. And we see that in many of our families. And, and that thinking affects our worldview. And it causes us to be people of concern, people of compassion, and people of prayer. One of the scripture passages on there is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that says, Therefore, because of God's great mercies, we should present our bodies, ourselves, as living sacrifices. That's a component of our worldview. That's the idea behind that. But then I love the way the Phillips translation translates that verse 2. It says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. But rather be transformed. We pray that for our kids. We pray that for all of us. That's part of the thinking and the ideas that shape that worldview and and show through it. Thirdly, today, we must intentionally cultivate a biblical worldview. One of the things in the book is this statement. For most people, their worldview is caught rather than taught. How do you catch a worldview? How do you do that? What does that that mean? Well, we teach that worldview. We teach it in our Bible classes. We teach it in our worship assemblies and sermons. We teach it uh, to our kids at home. We do all of that. But it also needs to be caught. They need to see that being lived out in front of us. Because I can tell you, if our lives aren't consistent with what our words are saying, which will they remember? Which will they catch? There was a poem out years ago, children learn what they, what, live. Children learn what they live. And so what are they living at home? What are they living when they see you here at church? How do you interact with them and with each other? What are you catching? What's the worldview that you're catching? I appreciate what Grant said about his granny and And watching TV, having control, there wasn't a remote, so she just had control of the channel changer. In our house growing up in San Antonio, there were, I think, four ABC, NBC, CBS, and public television station. That was it. But what's on your TV? What's on your laptop? What are your kids catching? What are you catching that contributes to your worldview we should not be so naive to think that we can be uh, hearing and seeing all of these things and 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 that it has no effect on us how is that possible what do you believe about God and the Bible 
If you're intentionally cultivating a biblical worldview, you'll ask yourself that question, and then you'll go on to the next one. How do those beliefs impact your daily life? So you say you believe in God, okay. You say this is my Father's world, okay. You say you believe that the Bible is God's inspired and authoritative uh, word, okay, great. Now, is your life consistent with those beliefs? When you watch the news or when you scroll through the, the social media and you see those things, are you so angry and so afraid that you're so worried about where things are right now and where the world is going that you, can, you almost make yourself sick? Do you really believe in God? <laughs> if that's the effect that those things have on you? Have you lost all confidence and assurance that this, in spite of everything that's going on, this is my Father's world? And whatever the circumstance, whoever's in power, whatever that looks like, I'm going to like some of it, I'm going to not like some of it, but all of it is under the umbrella of God's power. This is my Father's world. Let me ask you this, what would be different in your life if God did not exist? If there was no God, what would be different in your life? Anything? If the Bible was not God's inspired word, what would change? What's different now because it is? If there were no Holy Spirit... If there were no part of the presence of God that's living inside of you and walking with you every day and helping you through these struggles we've talked about, what would be different? Sometimes I feel like I get in such a mode that I'm all about the work that Bill's doing and the preparation and the tasks and the strategies and all of that stuff that I have forgotten the power of God. That He's at work in all of that. And that, yes, I should do my part, absolutely. But I still go back to this coffee mug that I had years ago that I dropped and broke into a bazillion pieces. And then Joyce got me another one because she saw it on eBay. You can get everything on eBay or Itsy or Bitsy or whatever that one is. And, um, and it says, I do my best and leave the rest to God. You see, our worldview, our belief in God and the Bible and all of those things, it doesn't give us permission not to do our best. In fact, it calls us to do that. But ultimately, the big difference is this. I leave the rest to God. You've heard me say many times I've come to believe two things about God. What are they? I believe that God exists, and I believe what? I'm not Him. That's my worldview. I believe that God exists, and I believe that I'm not Him, and He can do His job really, really well, and He's given me tasks to do because of that. To view the world truthfully, then, we must view it through the filter of God's Word. God has given us a filter, and it's His Word. If we truly believe the Lord is God and the Bible is His Word, we will think differently, we will act differently, and we will see things differently. And people will notice. People will notice. 
And that's what causes Jesus to say, if you live this way and do these good things, then maybe they will see your good deeds and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's why Peter can call us to live like we believe those things in such a way that when people see us living with such hope, that they'll ask us. And that's when we need to be ready to tell them. And you don't have to say, my preacher says it's because of my worldview. In fact, please don't say that. (laughs) We say it's because of Jesus. It's because I believe that there is a God, and I believe that I'm not Him. And so I love Him, and He takes care of me, and I seek to live faithful to that. People will be open if that's what you tell them. That conversation will continue. This morning, if we can help you towards a biblical worldview, come as we stand, sing our song together.